are listening to Dairy Voice, a podcast exclusively for the dairy industry. One of our sponsors of the Dairy Voice podcast is National DHIA. NDHIA ensures information accuracy and represents their members' interests. They are the direct voice for the dairy information industry. To find out more, go to dhia.org. Our guest today has completed a long career as a dairy producer and a purebred breeder. Throughout, he's been a leader in his local community and the dairy industry. I'm really pleased to welcome Tom Gillette from Lewis County, New York, where they say that cows outnumber the people. Hey, Tom, welcome to Dairy Voice. Thank you for asking me. Before we begin, just a bit of full disclosure, Tom and his wife, Jane, are longtime friends of mine. And back in the day, we even owned a few registered Holsteins together. That was a fun part of our earlier days. Tom, take us back to the beginning of your career as a dairyman, kind of growing up on the home farm and uh, coming back after school and getting your career started. Well, my grandfather purchased the home farm in 1909. I grew up there and was very interested in dairy cattle and the farming operation. Uh, went to Morrisville for two years, transferred to Cornell. My first official job was an ag teacher at the BOCES that was in a rented building. And then I proceeded to make a partnership with my father. And I also worked part-time as a uh, County 4-H agent. During that time, my primary responsibility was teaching kids judging. And a couple of my students have ended up being judges at World Dairy Expo. So from there, I moved into pretty much taking over the farm and uh, probably about a 40-cow operation in the beginning. It ended up close to 300 at the conclusion. And lots of excitement along the way. Uh, You began with registered Holsteins, and you did have that enthusiasm for judging and showing. Talk about a few of the highlights of your Holstein career. Well, one of the things that I was really interested in is uh, AI industry. And uh, at one point, I managed to have about seven bulls in AI. Probably the most notable one was in uh, what was back in those days, the Atlantic stud. Uh, His name was Clearview Charisma. Uh, He was plus for milk and plus for type, but his real kind of thing that made him uh, saleable was that he was plus two points on fat. And they sold pretty near all the semen he made over his lifetime to the Europeans. So that was one of the better ones. Uh, I also had a very good relationship uh, with Select Sire's. Sire analyst there and I got along well and I remember my first trip to what now is Coba to uh, see two or three of my bulls that were there. In those days you could walk in the bull stud and look over the bulls. That's long <laughs> past. 
Um, anyway, uh, I had a, a good relationship with the sire analyst there whose name was John Hecker. And uh, I think he ended up taking four of my bulls. It's kind of amusing to me now because uh, as I go back to the building about every year, uh, it's where the Asher office is now located. So it's uh, the building has changed immensely from the last 40 years. So sort of sort of interesting to watch that building change. And kind of kind of full circle, and we'll certainly get to your uh, Ayrshire career here in a, in a in a moment. Um, as a registered Holstein breeder, though, you were active in your county Holstein club. Uh, you consigned and selected for sales. In fact, I remember uh, at least on one occasion traveling with you for the day, picking cattle for the state sale. I think. Oh yeah. A any other? Yeah. Any I Go ahead. Well, I uh, I used to, uh, I guess I was sale chairman of the uh, what was called the Empire Sale. It was affiliated with the Wintercrest Sale. And uh, I did and, that for probably five or six years anyway. And managed, and, by, uh, and managed by Horace and Charles Backus. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. I... Uh, had a, a great relationship with Charlie and, and Horace. I know one year I was chairman of the state state sale, and uh, I think we at that point had kind of a record record uh, sale for for the cow portion of it. And I also let's see, I had a calf that was lot number one in the state sale calf sale one year. Had an Erlinda chief daughter that. A lot of the bulls that I had in AI were out of that cow, and I had a heifer calf out of her that uh, ended up being a uh, lot number one in the state calf sale. So. I think you and Jane hosted the uh, state Holstein picnic one year too. Oh yeah, that was that was the hundredth anniversary of our farm. It was uh, 2009. We're uh, given the uh, Century Farm Award, and as sort of a thank you to all my activities in Holstein, I hosted the the uh, state picnic that year, and we had a sale. And if I end it, remember right, we uh, we ended up with an animal in partnership. <laughs> that's, that's right. When your goal is to help animals reach their full potential, health matters. Diamond V offers a fresh perspective on animal health, a perspective that supports gut health, strengthens immunity, and ultimately enhances performance. For those who choose to invest in keeping healthy animals healthy, feeding Diamond V makes a statement about another dimension of profit, where margins are measured by confidence in your future. To get a fresh perspective, visit DiamondV.com, because animal health deserves a healthier approach. As the industry changed, you took a you. Well, you've always impressed me, Tom, with your your approach to to business and and how you invested your your dairy your dairy dollars. I think it's safe to say that uh, I won't say in spite of, but along with your love of good cattle, you always wanted to be running a good business. Tell us a little bit about how you decided to uh, gradually expand and renovate your facilities and and. Uh, change the change the dairy from the tie stall barn to the 
to a bigger operation? Okay, we probably were at about somewhere in the 65 cal range uh, when we were still in the stall barn. Um, and in order for my son, who had indicated that he would like to, to dairy with us, uh, we knew we had to do quite a bit of expansion. So we started out with a, uh, a heifer barn that held about 55 head. It was uh, loose housing with a drive-through feeding. It was pretty efficient because we could feed 55 heifers in about five minutes. We could clean it in practically no time too, so it made uh, heifer raising efficient. Uh, then we moved to building a bunker silo and uh, ended up uh, giving a couple of tower silos to uh, to the Amish just to get rid of them uh, because they were in the way of a future freestall. And I think we basically built one one item per year and the freestall we built and uh, also converted we did a, a retrofit of the old barn to make a parlor and uh, that was quite an interesting project uh, changing the stall barn into a milking parlor but we got it done and uh, we ended up with a double eight uh, parallel parlor and so that's the way we operated from about uh, 2000 to 2009 or 10, a Mexican uh, labor I very much enjoyed because they were so trustworthy and very much punctual. So at about uh, age 69 or so, I decided it was time to step back a little bit. And my son, who had been to college for nutrition, decided rather than continue with the dairy, he wanted to go into back to being a nutritionist. So at that point, I guess it was 2012, we sold the dairy. And I had expanded the land base by quite a bit. And so I kept five acres. My wife loves to tell the story of how I built the barn first, but anyway, uh, I built a little show barn and a house on five acres, and I kind of enjoyed selling uh, the, the farm and the real estate, and I'd bought and sold land quite a bit before that. So I went into the real estate business, which I continued to do. Well, you also uh, brought in some uh, high-end Ayrshire cattle, even even while you were milking in the in the freestall setup. Uh, talk a little yes, bit about yes. talk a little bit about how what what intrigued you by um, with that breed and and kind of how you got started and and the kind of success that you had. Well, I had experimented with uh, several breeds uh, back when the they started paying you on solids. It seemed quite a good idea to me to uh, get an extra 50 cents or a dollar for your milk. So I started experimenting with uh, colored breeds. Uh, I owned a few jerseys. I owned a few uh, 
Dutch Belters. I had some Swiss. Also a few Ashers. And the Ashers seem to be far ahead of the other colored breeds. Uh, the main thing I had wrong with the jerseys is that they pretty much were too small for our facilities. Uh, they were come in the parlor wrong end too. And so uh, they didn't work out very well, but the Ashers seemed to fit in pretty well. And in that setting, I was kind of the veterinary doctor, sick barn person. And uh, I had very few of those red cows back there ever. And a couple of my first purchases, one lived to be 13. And so I kind of got involved in that. And I liked to show. And, uh, the 13-year-old cow had a daughter that ended up being a four-time All-American. And then I had another cow that had a daughter that is a three-time All-American. So that's kind of how I got into that and uh, continuing it. You became prominent as an Ayrshire breeder, I would say. That's my term. I know you would never characterize yourself that way. But uh, you're currently uh, on the board of directors and playing a leadership role with the Asher Association. Just give us a little insight into what's happening with that breed these days. Well, let's see. I started out as a director. I've been a director. I was a director for five years. I was a vice president for two years, and now I'm the president. So... We, uh, I think that uh, the Asher breed is kind of moving forward. We uh, are doing a bunch of things. Um, working right now on negotiating a contract with uh, South Dakota University on doing some research. Um, the smaller breeds, uh, we have to uh, kind of figure out efficiency of scale, and so. We partner with uh, Brown Swiss Breed to do our classification. We partner with Milking Shorthorn to do our magazine. And right now we're negotiating with Guernsey to, for an employee. That's kind of some of the highlights of things that we're working on right in the short run. And I'll bet your good business sense and experience is a, certainly a help to that organization for sure. What's what's the research with South Dakota State that you're looking at? Uh, we're trying to do both some uh, milk fat research. Uh, we feel that the uh, Asher milk is has a smaller fat globule and is more conducive to cheese making. And we're also looking at some longevity things. So those are we're that's that's kind of just in the talking stage at this point, but we're working with them to come up with some projects. Sure. Well, speaking of cheese making, uh, the milk, a lot of milk in Lewis County goes to the Kraft plant in Lowville, New York, that is famous for producing Philadelphia brand cream cheese. And as a dairyman, you not only shipped your milk there, but you were active with the local co-op 
engage in negotiations with that outfit from time to time. Just talk a little bit about your, your milk business experience. Well, that was back in the 90s. Um, we sort of had a family history with the organization Lauvo Producers, which is the last Hortz Dairyman ranking. I think they were number 38 in size. It's not the world's biggest milk co-op, but we're big enough to be quite independent. We supplied all the milk for uh, the craft uh, cream cheese plant in Lauville, which is supposedly the world's largest cream cheese factory. And the co-op, uh, my wife's grandfather started the co-op back in 1936. His brother-in-law was president for a few years, and I ended up being president during the, the 90s. At that point in time, we uh, had to negotiate a new contract uh, through uh, Dairy Lee, which has subsequently become uh, DFA. And so we negotiated a new contract. I think it was signed in 95, and it lasted until 2020. So over that uh, period of years, it was just a little short of a billion dollars that it produced or brought into the farmers of Lewis County. So I was quite proud of that contract. So An important, uh, maybe the driver of the Lewis County economy, <clears throat> the dairy industry, it, and, and even that plant. It de definitely. Oh, without without that plant... <laughs> It would be a sad, sad county. Uh, we've we're doing some things in uh, green energy lines, but uh, the main the main source of income for Lewis County is still export of cheese. Well, let's talk about your county uh, leadership activities. Since since you're uh, not an active dairyman, but you have been either elected or appointed, you can tell me to the County Development Board, and you've had some interesting experiences there, including uh, some innovative dairy activity. Well, uh, probably the, I, I was appointed by the uh, chairman of the legislators, uh, and uh, we've been doing quite a few projects. Uh, we're on our fourth wind farm. They average about 70 towers per farm. Uh, some are larger, some are smaller, but uh, anyway, we're the fourth wind farm is under construction. And I lose track of the number of solar farms that we've been working with. Uh, I think we're around 10 that are completed. And there's quite a few more solar farms under various stages of negotiation. Electricity may become pretty close to equal in bringing in money to the county. Also, it might be interesting to people that uh, we our IDA does a pilot, and uh, we have adjusted the pilot requirements so that uh, poorer land is a better deal for the solar company and 
trying to protect good ag land. So that's a project that I was quite heavily involved in. That's great. Your your board also uh, helped an entrepreneur uh, couple uh, convert uh, an unused paper mill into a facility that uh, can can process milk for smaller producers too. Just just tell us a little bit about that. The the beginning of that was kind of a sad story because we uh, we had a very active paper mill that basically went under when newsprint became a less less interesting project and uh, so the mill went under and went downhill to a point that it was most of the mill had to be uh, demolitioned there was one building on the property that was in pretty good shape and the IDA helped a person who has turned that into a small creamery. And basically he works with dairies to produce specialty products. One of the main products that they do is a flavored butter and they're marketing that pretty much all over New York state. Each individual farm has its own brand of product, so to speak, because some you do butter, some do cheese. Uh, one is doing uh, sort of a milkshake and a, and a chocolate milk. And the whole idea is to have these uh, be sort of startups. And one, the farm that is doing the chocolate milk has now moved to processing on the farm. All of these different uh, farm entities share their product back and forth. They have little farm stands on the farm, but they share the product back and forth. And also our level producers uh, has a store and we share that, that uh, storefront uh, is available to these people. So it's a way to market uh, not a great uh, volume, but uh, high high end products, value added products. And it helps these more traditional herd sizes uh, get into that uh, income stream without the big expense of uh, investing in their own processing. Uh, they, they can start that, at a that, small that's, scale, as you just explained. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. Uh, we only have one that's moved on to the point where he's doing it on his own and the IDA helped with that also. But, uh, yeah, that's sort of the goal is to have these, bring these people on and get them, get them started. And then they can move on to their own independent, uh, situation. But there's a lot of cooperation between all of them because they market back and forth. So sure. that's kind of our goal. And there's still quite a bit of, uh, land available at the mill site and we're hoping that in the future we can not only have this business expand but we're looking to get other businesses to move there well tom as we finish up here um 
maybe just give us a little bit of a vision of what you and your colleagues uh, are looking forward to in Lewis County, New York, upstate uh, in the Tug Hill region between uh, Tug Hill and the Adirondacks. In addition to lots of snow, uh, what are you looking forward to? We're trying, to, we realize that, I mean, 100 years ago, cheese was about the only export out of the county, but we're trying to make uh, our county viable by using uh, our natural resources, which wind and solar, certainly as we're producing a, a lot of electricity. Uh, we're probably expanding our uh, dairy markets, at least as, uh, to a certain extent. And tourism has become a very big thing. Uh, we have a couple pretty good sized lakes, uh, which are very much a tourist attraction. We have uh, probably a thousand miles of uh, four wheeler and snow side trails. And so the tourism business is something that we're trying to uh, promote along with our our solar and and uh, wind energy and and our dairy so those are the three things that we see as having potential to to grow so that's what we're trying to spend our energy on moving forward with well it's uh it, it does sound exciting and as i've mentioned i'm sure it benefits from your experience and leadership as well I thank you for being with us today, Tom, and telling us uh, your story and a little bit about Lewis County as well. Thank you for having me. We've been speaking today with Tom Gillette of Lewis County, New York, uh, a longtime dairy producer, uh, purebred breeder, and uh, leader in his community. This is your host, Joel Hastings, speaking for Dairy Voice, and we can be found on dairybusiness.com and wherever you do get your podcasts.